Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. If you don't have one, you can go and grab one anytime during the service. They're over on that table over there or after on your way out. If you want to grab one, uh, that is our gift to you. We would love for you to have and uh, to keep that Bible as your own. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, again, uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. So Ephesians is in the New Testament. It is uh, probably seven-eighths of your way through, if if that's where you want to take a stab. It's just a short little letter. Uh, And then our Bibles are organized by books. And so Ephesians is the book and uh, organized by chapters and verses. And so chapters are the big numbers. Verses are the small numbers. And so big number six, chapter six, and then small numbers. I'm going to be reading uh, through this whole section on the armor of God, which is verses 10 through 20. Verses 10 through 20, which I know we've read lots of times in this last uh, number of weeks. But hopefully we see it all kind of come together here on this very last uh, sermon through this section of the Bible. So let's hear God's word. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Prayer. That's the name of the game this morning. Prayer. We know it's essential be hard why is prayer so hard and so here we are at our very last passage our last little section in the book of ephesians that we're going through you may be looking if you haven't been with us for a length of time saying hey there's still still a little more coming well we we already did that we went through the whole book of ephesians we jumped over verses 10 to 20 finished the book of ephesians then we backtracked and did this kind of slow methodical plodding through the armor of god and so here here we are this is the last one And here we see, again, it's pretty clear, Paul's section on prayer from verses 18 to 20, where he gives instruction on prayer, and then he asks for prayer. So we learn a lot about prayer. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Praying always. And this whole series within a series on this armor of God have been lessons for the Christian life. And specifically in the context of spiritual warfare. 
we come to this section, verses 18 through 20. And the big idea for us this morning from verses 18 through 20 is very simple. Pray always. That's the big idea. Pray always. So whether you think you're in control or not, whether you think you have all the answers or not, whether you think you have it all together or not, pray always. We always must pray. And again, we see this, the context here is spiritual warfare. That's the context that we find ourselves in in Ephesians chapter 6. But prayer is not, as some have argued throughout history, that, that last piece of armor. Paul doesn't seem to describe it like a piece of armor, like he talks about the other elements that we went through. But it's closely connected. I mean, it's in the same sentence. It's closely connected with the verses that have come before it. And so in this context, prayer is the means by which believers are able to stand. We see this from the beginning when he says, Put, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. And then it's emphasized over and over that the believer will be able to stand in the strength of God's might. And here we see prayer put right on at the end here. And again, it's the means by which believers are able to stand firm. So maybe a helpful illustration, I'm not a tech guru by any means, but you look at all the tech equipment that we have here, we're, we're not super high tech, but we've got a bunch of things going on. There's speakers, there's microphones, there's uh, guitars, there's projection, there's you know the mixer board, there's a whole bunch of things going on, and those are really important things, and they all are ingredients that kind of fit into this puzzle piece that makes Sunday mornings work. But without any of these things being plugged in, they become literally powerless. A prayerless Christian is like a PA system that's not plugged in. And so Christian, I have a question for you. Are you living a life that isn't plugged in? Are you powerless? I think that's what Paul's talking about when he gets to prayer here at the end of Ephesians. It's the means by which the believer is able to to stand. And so we don't want to run the risk of getting trite with the way we think about prayer uh, as simply a resource, uh, that, that it's just the source of, you know, what we need. If we do, we, we have the wrong picture in our minds of what prayer is. And as the result, I believe we would neglect prayer if we wrongly define what prayer is. And so John Piper gives a, uh, a helpful illustration or some kind of convincing imagery for prayer. It's a little bit of a longer quote, but I want to read it to you because I think it's helpful that we frame the way we think about prayer before we even think about what it means to be praying always. So Piper says this. We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. Life is war. That's not all it is, but it is certainly that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. End quote. So how do you think of prayer? Is it that occasional call 
where you call for more comforts, or do you run to your heavenly Father? It's an important way that we, before we even get to the conversation of what prayer is all about, we need to make sure we agree on what prayer is and what it's for. I think Paul paints this picture for us in Ephesians chapter 6, that it is more like a wartime walkie-talkie than the domestic intercom to call for more comfort. And so this is an important topic for all of us. Who wouldn't want to improve in this? I know I do. And I can't think of a Christian who would get to their life and would say, you know what, I think I lived a pretty good life, but I might have overcooked it in the prayer department. I might have overdone it. I, don't, I just don't think that's the, the state that we find ourselves in. And so I bet most of us in this room have a long way to go. That's a good place to be because God gives us his word, uh, which teaches us these glorious truths. And so there's a lot of hope here. There's a lot of hope in this passage. I know topics like this and passages like this can feel heavy, right? You're just holding up the mirror and you see your prayerless life and it can feel weighty. But the good news is the Bible is not silent on prayer. God wants us to come to him and he tells us how. Prayer is not a set ritual where we can you know, only come to him certain times or on certain days. He hasn't left it a mystery for us. And there's so much hope when we talk about prayer that even when we fail, even when we fail in our prayer, God is faithful. Even in our weak, our inadequate, even our prayerless days. And so let's jump in and consider this important topic of prayer. First, looking at what Ephesians 6 has to say about praying with persistence. Second, praying with perseverance. And third, praying with purpose. Persistence, perseverance, and purpose. Let's jump in with persistence first. Paul, right away in verse 18, says the word all. You might have noticed that four times in one verse. Four times in one verse, that is a good clue to, you know, pay attention. If you see words repeated in the Bible, you know, make a little mental note. It says all four times. And the first one says praying at all times in the Spirit. Now this shouldn't be skipped. As we talk about prayer, prayer is inherently spiritual. Sometimes we can fall into hyper-spiritualizing it and need to be reminded that we need to just simply come to God. We need to just simply talk to God. But other times we do ourselves no favor when we make prayer such a small thing. Just, oh, it's just a chit-chat, you know? No, it's so much more than that. We do ourselves no favor by forgetting that prayer must be in the Spirit. And so what does it mean to be praying in the Spirit? Well, praying in the Spirit is to be inspired and guided by the Spirit who himself provides access to God. That is a profound truth when we think about it. Praying in the Spirit is to be inspired and guided by the Spirit who himself provides access to God. And so we could contrast praying in the Spirit as, or with praying in the flesh. The fly just landed on my head. That was weird. All right. Uh, praying in the flesh. That would be our contrast. That's our, our powerless pray, prayer. It's like a PA system that's not plugged in. Prayer then instead becomes the means by which we pursue our desires, those comforts that we are looking for. And so James reminds us in James chapter 4 that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. We just simply don't ask. Or we don't have because we ask wrongly. And so to pray in the Spirit is a glorious and sobering reminder 
that there is a lot more going on than simply praying to the ceiling. Think about the privilege of prayer. The Holy Spirit himself provides access to God. Again, this metaphor breaks down pretty quickly. But imagine you had access to, you know, your favorite expert on a topic. Let's say you wanted to cook and, you know, a friend of yours said, hey, you know, I know Gordon Ramsay. I don't know anything about cooking, but, you know, Gordon seems like he knows what he's talking about. But, oh, I know Gordon. And he said, anytime you want, no matter what, you give him a call. He'll give you advice. You give him a call. He'll even come over. He'll help you out. You know, imagine that resource, right? You'd be a fool to ignore that. You know, maybe our pride would say, oh, I'll cook, I'll cook myself, you know. But no, that would, that, what a resource that would be, right? Or may, imagine your favorite singer. Someone said, you know, I know Taylor Swift. You know, anytime you're having trouble falling asleep, she'll sing you to sleep. Just give her a call, she'll sing. Yeah, I, I don't know why that is the thing. But imagine these resources. We would be ridiculous to, to downplay those. It'd be like, whoa, man, I, got, I could call Taylor Swift anytime I want. I could call Gordon Ramsay anytime I want. But how pathetic are those examples compared to God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, who is beyond all earthly power and authority, and yet he wants to hear from you, and he promises to help you. He gives us his Holy Spirit to provide access to him, that we can come to him, and yet tragically, we still neglect it. John Calvin wrote this, to know God as the master and bestower of all good things, who invites us to request them of him and still not go to him and not ask of him. This would be of as little profit as a man to neglect a treasure buried and hidden in the earth after it has been pointed out to him. So you know there's treasure. You've been given the map. You see the little X. And to not go get it, it would be a massive neglect. But that's what it's like when we don't pray. We are called by God through his word to pray at all times in the spirit. That is a treasure. And so we must not neglect it. But I ask you to reflect on yourself this morning. Are you neglecting treasure that is prayer? This is the call. Pray at all times, to pray persistently. And this is the hope that we have in Christ. Prayer is, again, not just like that little thing we get to whip out every once in a while. Oh, yeah, I can pray when I need it, that kind of thing. It's amazing that we have access to God. We have distanced ourselves radically from God because we have all sinned. We've all separated ourselves from God. We shouldn't be able to commune with him in any way. But the hope that we have as we come to any topic, but the hope that we have as we come to talk about prayer is the gospel. The gospel is our absolute hope. That even though we've distanced ourselves impossibly from God, because of our sin, we've made it impossible for us to be able to come to him with anything. He made it possible. That if we come to approach that throne of grace, we have no merit to bring of our own. We couldn't, you know, come and say, Lord, you know, I just, I did this thing. That's not our hope. Our hope is that God made a way for us to be able to come to him. And he did that through coming to us. He sent his own son into the world. Sent Jesus to come as a man to live a sinless life. To do what 
you and I could never do, and yet die the death that we deserve, to pay the penalty for sin on the cross, and to defeat death, to rise on the third day, to satisfy God's just wrath against our sin, so that we could be made right with God if we would turn from our sin and trust in Christ and his righteousness. That is what is being held out to us in the good news of the gospel. And that is the hope that we have to be able to go to God with our burdens and our sorrows and everything. That is the hope that we have. It's the means by which we can go to God with confidence. Because it's not our righteousness that we come to God with. I love in Daniel chapter 9, he he prays and asks God to act. He says, not because of my righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That's how and why we can pray. We come to God every time saying, God, please hear my prayer. Not because of my righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And again, from this side of the cross, we have such a clear picture of how that happened. And when we think of prayer in that way, so linked, so dovetailed in with the gospel, we realize pretty quickly that God is not an ATM in the sky. He's not a genie in a lamp that dispenses stuff, you know, if we live just right. I fear that that's how we think about prayer too often. But when we think about prayer in light of the glorious gospel that saves us and transforms us, we realize that we are adopted as God's children, as Paul talked about earlier in the book of Ephesians, that before the foundations of the world, we were chosen, we were adopted. And this is directly applicable to our prayer lives. I love this Tim Keller, I think it was just a tweet. I don't even think it came from a book or anything. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. That's the lens that we have to look through when we think about prayer, that God has adopted us as his children. You know, it would be crazy for us to, you know, go to Buckingham Palace and bang on the door and say, I need a glass of water. That would be, I mean, crazy. It's, it's comical if we think about it. But that's the kind of access we have to the king of the universe because of the gospel. That's the hope that we have as we think about prayer. The only person who dares to wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. The gospel is our hope, our treasure in all things. And that's the hope that we rest in as we think about prayer. And so getting super practical here, how do we grow in this? Well, one, we do well to set aside time to pray. Feels simple. But it's good advice. Because we don't plan to pray, we don't pray. Because we don't plan to pray, we don't pray. It's as simple as that. And so a good assessment is just to look at your life. What do your days look like? What do your weeks look like? Do you have non-negotiable times built into your schedule where you take time to pray? If you're not praying as you know you ought to, this might be the culprit. You need to set aside time throughout your days, throughout your weeks to pray and get accountability from one another. Take advantage of whatever tools, whatever mechanisms you need. Set reminders in your phone. You know, use different benchmarks. We have our midweek prayer here. Jump on that just to another time to stop and say, I need to pray. Seek accountability. Come to our evening prayer services. You know, get a friend to text you every morning and say, hey, remember, pray. 
If we don't plan to pray, we fail to pray. And we'll see, it's, it's cyclical. The more you pray, the more you want to pray, and the more you realize that you need to pray. And so don't let this slip by. I know you're like, man, I, I could have told you that before I came in this morning. You have, uh, yeah, you got a plan. But we got to do it. We need to pray. This is how we be obedient in this. And it's not to get a ritualistic gold star, you know, like, oh, I'm persistently praying and planning and all these other P's. You know, no. It's for your good and for God's glory. But let's not even stop there. Because as Paul talks about praying always in the spirit, I think it's more than just set aside planned time. Let those set aside planned times spill over into the rest of your life. Let it spur you on into more than just dedicated times. Because I think prayer is far more than this. As our love for God grows, we should want to commune with him more. So when you're with somebody that you love, you don't necessarily wait until that, you know, 15 or 30 minute sit down conversation. Every once in a while you have to have those set conversations where you kind of debrief, go over things. But if you're with someone you love, you just talk. You just communicate. Think about your close friendships or think about your marriage if you're married. For Mariah and I, if we're, you know, we, we have times where we need to sit down and work through something or talk through something. Those are good and important quality time. Yes, that's great. That's like our planned prayer. But if we just are, you know, strangers passing in the night in the hallway and we never chat or talk about anything else, we're missing out on so much communion with one another. And I think it's helpful if we think about prayer in the same way. We need to have those times where we're dedicated, focused, time but praying always seems to be more comprehensive than that it seems to be bigger and i think this is consistent with scripture jesus says in luke chapter 18 always pray and don't lose heart paul again writes in first thessalonians 5 probably familiar pray without ceasing pray without ceasing and so this is how we do it we pray persistently we also need to pray widely. We get to our next all. Paul writes that we are to pray with all prayer and supplication. All prayer and supplication. Ian Duguid gives a helpful illustration here. You think about certain relationships you have. They're very one-dimensional and narrow. Think about your relationship with your MP or your MPP, your member of parliament. That's a very one-dimensional relationship. You don't go to them when you get a good score on a test. You don't go to them when you're, you know, even facing a big decision. You don't go to them when you're having a bad day. What do you go to them for? You go to them when you have a complaint, right? When you have a grievance, when you have an issue. You say, I'm, I'm calling up my MP. I don't know who my MP is, but I'll find out, and I'll, you know, tell them my complaint. It's very narrow, very one-dimensional relationship. But Christian, does your prayer life reveal that you see God more as a politician than your heavenly father? Do you go to him only when you have a complaint or only when crisis happens? Because things slip just beyond your control and you want to appeal to a higher court. I know too often I do that. He wants you to go to him with your grievances. He wants you to go with your struggles. It's not that he doesn't want you to bring these things, but that relationship is just so much wider than just this one area or this one thing if that's the only time that we run to him i wonder what that says about our view of him run to god 
as a small child goes to their parent with any and everything. If you've spent time with little kids, you know if they're excited, you're going to hear about it. If they're upset, you're going to hear about it. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing, you're going to learn about that Play-Doh structure that just got made. Or, you know, I think that's the way we need to think about praying without ceasing, about praying always. That we need to run to our Father knowing that He is ready to listen. He is ready to hear and He asks us to do that. Bring your joys, bring your shame, bring your grief, bring your anger, bring your sin, bring your praise, bring your requests, bring your all. Go to Him with all prayer and supplication. Again, we have more categories through Scripture that we see of this. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul writes, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. James gives us even more categories. He says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Pray for healing. We get all this that gives us such a wider view of prayer than I think it sometimes is for us. We pray persistently by going to God at all times with all of our things. And that's what we need to do. Now, that doesn't mean you just go to to him with a laundry list of what he can do for you today, but you go to him praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then very closely related to this praying with persistence, we see our next point, praying with perseverance. Praying with perseverance. Touched on this a few times already. Prayer can be a struggle. If it's not for you, I would love to talk to you and find out how that is working for you. Prayer can be a struggle. I know for myself, and maybe this resonates with you, I am easily distracted. I pray the same old things about the same old things. I pray too often in the flesh, not in the spirit. You know, I might even convince myself, I don't want to get too ritualistic with my prayer, so I'm not going to set aside time to pray, and I just don't end up praying. Or if I do set aside time to pray, it's just anything can trumpet in my schedule. Anything can override those plans. My days are too easily prayerless and powerless. But Paul adds, partway through verse 18, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, this is bigger in this context than just prayer. He's talking about this kind of whole section about keeping alert, being able to stand, persevering. The whole context here of spiritual war and alertness also steers us to to remember that we need to keep alert and persevere in our prayer. Our prayerlessness is often a diagnosis of the state of our heart. McShane says, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more reveals the state of our heart. And I think if we are prayerless, we often get a direct diagnosis of pride in our hearts. If we think that we have everything under control, why would we need to pray? If we have carefully crafted this American dream life where we have all of our things together, we have no need of God. We convince ourselves of that. Certainly we do have a need of God. But we create this facade that we've got it all together. And this becomes incredibly clear as we we pull back the veil on our prayer lives and see what it says about the state of our heart. So all Christians should want to pray better. But we need to press on. We need to persevere. We need to go through the pride, through the self-reliance, and through our doubts. I love the very Puritan advice, pray until you pray. Write that down. When you're sitting there and you're like, oh man, I, I'm just struggling. I can get distracted. Pray until you pray. It sounds too simple. But we need to persist in our prayer. 
This doesn't mean that God looks more favorably at long-winded prayers where we could swing the pendulum all the other way and we could say, oh, you know, God just really, there's something more inherently pious about brevity. But I do think too often we don't persevere. We don't pray long enough even to pray. D.A. Carson puts it very poignantly. He says, we urgently need this advice. For many of us in our praying are like nasty little boys who ring front doorbells and run away before anyone answers. Pray until you pray. Are we playing Nicky Nicky Nine Doors in our prayer life? Pray until you pray. We need to persist. And so through that praying, through that persistence, and then we need to persevere, praying with perseverance, we also see from Ephesians chapter 6 that prayer is not, you know, just vague and ethereal. We need to pray with purpose. Pray with purpose. So when we pray, we need to think through, in light of Scripture, what God wants us to pray for. That could be the best lesson in prayer, right there. When we pray, we need to think through, in light of Scripture, what God wants us to pray for. God tells us a lot about prayer in his word. And even less than the explicit instructions of exactly how to pray, all through the Bible, the more we know about the Bible, the more that we know about God, we see the kinds of things that we should be praying for. And so this is why we try as best as we can, and I'm sure we fail as often as we succeed, but we try in our gathered worship to be very intentional about having different kinds of prayers, different types of prayers. Scripture does not mandate to have a specific prayer of adoration and a specific prayer of confession. And, oh, just remember, you also have to have a thanksgiving and supplication prayer. That's not, you know, a scriptural mandate. But we are commanded to pray. And we do see that that is what's set for us when we come together corporately to pray and to, to make these intercessions and supplications. And so, you know, prudence dictates it's helpful for us to try to think wise because it's really easy to tunnel in on just one type of prayer. But we need to grow in praying with purpose in our corporate lives and in our individual lives. And that's our prayer that that would spur us all on in our week to think about how can I be praising God this week in my prayer? What sins do I need to bring to God and confess to him? You know, where can I be thankful? Where has he blessed me with this week? What do I need to ask him to do? How can I ask him to act in line with his word? We need to pray with purpose. And so apart from knowing God and his word, we too often fall victim to only praying prayers that are either too big and broad and vague or too small and narrow. I know it seems like, wouldn't all prayer be good? Yes, all prayer is good. But if we have such a small view of God, we won't go and pray that entire nation's We'd be transformed because of the gospel. We wouldn't pray for other Christians and churches there. Or if we have such an abstract and unhelpfully uh, foggy view of prayer, we'll think that God doesn't want to hear about our daily burdens and struggles and victories. And so we can do all this while still praying God-centered prayers. We just need to stop praying for stuff. We need to stop praying for stuff. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get something. It's to know someone. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get something. It's to know someone. The God of the universe is inviting you into a relationship 
where the goal and the metric is intimacy. That is prayer. That is prayer. Consider the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. A perfect case study. In Jesus' example, we find prayer, praise, and adoration. We find confession and forgiveness of sin. We find micro or macro petitions of God's kingdom coming, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we find micro petitions, seemingly micro, something as small as asking God to provide our daily bread, our daily needs and provision. Think about the depth and breadth of that prayer. That's how we pray with purpose. And so Paul gives us a similarly broad spectrum here. He says, pray for all the saints. Pray for all the saints. There's our last all. Pray for all the saints. Now, of course, we can't pray for every Christian in the world by name. But we must remember that the God we pray to knows every Christian in the world by name. We petition the king of the universe. And so we can pray that wide. We can pray that broad because our God is that powerful. That's the God we petition. If we create a, a kind of finite ability or idea of what prayer is, that you know, only how big my prayers can be is, is the success of my prayers, we've got to remember that we are petitioning the God of the universe. That's how we pray with purpose. And so pray for other Christians. Pray for other churches. Pray for other nations. Pray for other pastors and missionaries around the world. There are great tools and books and resources that can help you in this, where you get different things in your inbox or different websites you can look at or, or books. Come talk to me after the service. I'd love to share what I found helpful in being able to pray for all the saints. And so as I said, we also need to pray for other local churches around us. We may not know one another personally, but we can and should pray for them. And so get Googling. Write down some names of pastors and missionaries and churches that you can pray for. And again, we try to do this every week in our pastoral prayer. And it's our hope that you'll, you know, jot some of those names down and be praying for Daryl Dash at Liberty Grace Church this week. You know, take a look at their website. See what they're doing and hold them up in prayer. They are our brothers and sisters doing hard and important work in Toronto. And then we see verses 19 and 20, the lens tightens in. Paul starts to ask for prayer for himself. In typical Paul fashion, he doesn't, you know, just give a list of all the practical needs that he has. He jumps right in to a request to advance the gospel. He's not asking for comfort. He's not asking for security. He's not asking for power. He's not asking for control. He prays that words would be given to him to be bold, to proclaim the hope that is the gospel. In short, he prays for courage and he prays for clarity. Courage and clarity. Pray that for one another this week. Right? Look around. Pray for one another this week. Pray for courage and pray for clarity. Pray through the membership directory by name. Pray for courage and for clarity in gospel proclamation. Pray that for the elders here. Pray for courage and clarity in leading and being gospel driven. Pray that for me, please, specifically. I would love that if you were praying for courage and clarity as I try to open up God's word for us. Pray for courage and clarity. 
There's a lot we can learn in this passage too about evangelism. There's so much here. But it really boils down to the simple truth that that Paul's hope for evangelism is really just gospel proclamation. He trusts that the gospel will do the work, that God will do the heavy lifting. And so he just, man, let me get this message out clear and let me be bold enough to do it. That's the prayer. Paul was imprisoned, and yet his request was not to be released. It was to continue faithfully proclaiming the gospel that got him locked up to begin with. He was less concerned about being unchained than he was about his message being unchained. And so you may not find yourself in a prison. I hope you never do. But it's a helpful reminder to have purposeful prayer. Purposeful prayer. That's where Paul comes with them. What's my goal? What's my number one aim? It's to glorify God. How do I do that? By telling people the good news of the gospel. It's their only hope on earth. That's his purpose. That's his mandate. That's his mission. And so that's what he asks for prayer for. He's not just praying for stuff. And so what if our prayer priorities were as purposeful and grand as this? What if our own requests were less about what was most advantageous for us and what was most instead most glorifying to God? What if we spent less time fretting over our circumstances and more time running to God with our prayers, asking him to further his kingdom, even if it means that we were chained up, even if it means that our circumstances actually get worse? We need to pray that God would give us words to boldly proclaim the hope that we have in Christ, that real spiritual and eternal life could be had. That again, as life circumstances could even be crumbling in, literally and figuratively chaining us down, that the gospel is freedom from the bondage of sin. That is the message we proclaim. And that's what Paul asks for prayer for. I want to grasp the gospel more so that my requests look more like this. Do you? This is why we planted this church. To glorify God by showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. By showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. So we need to be praying to this end. We need to be praying for the church as a whole. That we would have courage and clarity. But brothers and sisters, I know that we fall short in this. I know that we fall short in this. But the good news is that again, the gospel's power is not dependent on the slickness or the frequency of our prayer. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so as Paul writes in Romans 8.26, that even when we don't know how to pray as we ought, even when we don't know how to pray as we ought, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Christ himself, we see a few verses later in Romans 8, is also praying for us. The author of Hebrews reminds us the same truth in Hebrews 7, 25. It says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. What a friend we have in Jesus. One theologian says this, It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us. Even when we are negligent in our prayer life, That he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present in our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers and that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us that we do not notice it 
He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Even more succinctly, Robert Murray McShane says this. This is one of my favorite quotes. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. That is the glorious truth. That is the good news that Christ loves us dearly. And that should spur us on as we think about praying, that we shouldn't feel the weight of, oh, how could, I, how could I pray always? How could I ever do that? Well, the truth that Christ died to save us, the truth that Christ himself is praying for us should calibrate our wayward and too often prayerless hearts to the glories of Christ. So Christian, run, run to God as a child runs to their father, Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all supplication and all perseverance, and pray for all the saints. Pray for courage and for clarity for me and for one another, and rest in the fact that Christ himself is praying for you. Let's pray right now. God, we thank you for the gift of your son. We can't say that enough. We can't acknowledge that enough. The fact that Jesus died to set us free from the bondage of sin is what makes it even possible for us to come to you and commune with you. Thank you for the gift of prayer that you've given to us and help us to pray all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, with all perseverance, praying for all the saints. God, we thank you that you know us by name, that you have called us your children. God, as we come to share in the Lord's Supper, would you fill our hearts even more as we behold Christ and what he's done for us. And God, if there's anyone here who does not know you, would you soften their heart to know this truth and intimacy that we can know and have with you. God, forgive us for neglecting this treasure. But we thank you for this treasure that you've given to us to be able to call on you to approach your throne of grace. In Jesus' name, amen.